one more thing before we turn into the Word. Um, one of the things we like to do is to talk about fun things, things that happen in our growth groups that are exciting. And we just ended, in fact, I think the official ending was last night of this session of growth groups. And one of the groups that met was Financial Peace University. And I've asked Megan Peters if she would come up this morning and just share a little bit about how that impacted her life and her husband, Gus's life, and uh, they were involved in financial peace, and um, it happens to go along with the sermon. So I thought, what better time to have her up than to and share? So Megan, just I just can you share with us a little bit about how this class did impact uh, your you and Gus and uh, your your lives together? I guess um, I can't say enough of good things about this class. Um, it's pretty much changed how we view money and and how we live our lives. Um, I had the opportunity a couple years ago um, when Gus and I first started dating to attend the class, he asked me to come with him and I was like, eh, we just started dating, maybe not. (laughs) So um, I regret that decision. Um, And his sister asked me to attend this uh, last time um, when Josh and Carrie Jenks led it. And um, I have fully drank Kool-Aid and love what Dave Ramsey has been teaching and taught us through these nine weeks. Um, you learn seven baby steps, how to get out of debt, stay out of debt, live debt free. So while you're going through the baby steps and paying down your debt and, and um, starting an emergency fund, um, his motto kind of just to keep reminding yourself is live like no one else so later you can live and give like no one else. Um, because we are stewards of what God has given us um, and to fully utilize that to the best of our ability. Um, we, we budget every month. We have a budget meeting. Um, we kind of get laughed at when we talk about it. But we have a budget meeting every month, and we tell every single one of the dollars that comes into our household where it's going to go before the month starts. Um, and because of that, we have been able to become debt-free this month. We will pay Gus's car off, and it's amazing feeling. Um, and the, the resources you get through this class, yes, there is a price attached to it, but it's kind of to get you to put some skin in the game. So you're really involved in it. Um, but the resources you get with the class are just amazing. Um, you get to view the lessons for the next year. Um, so if you miss something or you don't remember something quite right, um, you can go back and look at it. You get all of the paper, um, the, the budget forms. Um, he has budget forms for every different type of income you could possibly think of. Um, I've been listening to the podcast, um, just picking up different things there, but it's, it's been amazing for us. Um, we, a couple months ago, we had a car repair that, uh, was a little bit more expensive than we had anticipated. Um, but we weren't worried about it. We knew where we could take the money from and we could pay for it without any worries and not using a credit card. And that month we were also still able to go on a mini vacation for a weekend and didn't use credit cards for that either. And we had complete and total peace about the whole situation. Um, so it's, it's just been eye-opening that, that you can go to college without accruing any debt. Like, who would have thought of that? Um, and now as we go towards buying a house, um, how to do that well and how to do that without um, occurring payments over the next what seems like a million years when you talk about mortgages. Um, and because we have fallen in love with this class so much and it has meant so much to us, um, we're looking towards working with Carrie and Josh to offer it um, next semester and being co-leaders or leaders of some type because we just find this to be such an important thing um, 
in our lives, in the life of the church, and in the life of just America. I mean, we're taught that you can't do anything without debt, and you, you really can. Like, you can live without debt. It's amazing. Um, and it's really empowering what you can do and be generous with it and still live comfortably. I mean, it, it's just amazing. <laughs> I can't say enough about it. Great. Thanks so much, Megan. Yeah. You know, one of our core values here at Friends is, is generous giving. But we understand it's tough to be a generous giver if budgets aren't under control, if debt's eating you up and things like that. So that's why, that's why this is offered as part of discipleship, as part of growing, so that we become more and better givers. And that's the goal that we have in life. And that's, that's one of those goals because life gets complicated, right? Life gets terribly complicated at times. And that's why this Christmas, our series that we're, we're celebrating, offering is this simply Christmas. How can we take Christmas and make it a little less complicated? Get it back to the basics, as we might say if we were coaching a team. Get back to the basics of Christmas, a little less complicated. And we do that as Christians one way. In recent years, anyhow, in, in more Protestant, even less liturgical churches, by celebrating or at least remembering the Advent season. And one definition of Advent, if you're saying, well, I know Christmas, but what's Advent? One definition of Advent is this. It's a season of preparation for Christmas. It's a season of preparation. And we started this, it's, it's simple. And we started by simply lighting one candle. One candle of Advent that, to remind us that Advent is coming. There's more candles to light. But we are starting this preparation. Now, if I was to ask you this morning... How do you prepare for Christmas? How do you prepare for Christmas? I'm likely to get, I'm not judging, I, maybe I'm putting myself out there, I'm likely to get a lot of not real spiritual answers. <laughs> First of all, we get the house cleaned up because we got to put away the fall stuff, the Thanksgiving and the Halloween decorations, and we got to get out the Christmas decorations, right? That's one way we prepare for Christmas. We, we, we decorate. There was a lady, her name's Esther. She worked in the firm, uh, worked for me as, as in my accounting firm for many years. She retired after 60 years of service just recently. And she had over 500 Santa Clauses. And you can imagine how many days that would take to set up. She had collected them over a year. She didn't get 500 the first day. <laughs> but she, she would get them out. And so sometime, I'm not sure when, they would start. And they would get out the Santa Clauses, so many each day. And they'd put them, and she had a place for every one of them. And they'd go everywhere in her house. But then you also know when Christmas is over what happens. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the declutterization. It's the putting the Santa Clauses away. I have a client who actually has a, when I talk a yard, it is a huge, huge yard. But he has over 2 million Christmas lights in his yard. Go to Salem, go to Quaker Lane, just look it up and go to it. You won't miss it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't miss it on Quaker Lane in, in Salem. And you can imagine the people that he has working for him start this in the fall. It doesn't, doesn't spring up overnight. They start in the fall and they start putting these lights up and it takes forever. But it's part of preparation, part of what we do to get ready for Christmas. Um, some of you, I, I made the mistake in the first service of saying ladies, but I know it's not just ladies. It's ladies and men. Bake cookies. Yeah, some of you bake cookies, right? For Christmas, we, that's the way we prepare. We bake, we bake, bake good cookies and, and take them to the pasture. And no, no. <laughs> 
No. In case you're wondering, in case you say that's a good idea, I'm diabetic, so don't try it. Um, extra jobs. You take an extra job to, uh, to uh, um, earn the money to do what you want to do and those type of things. Go to parties. Church parties, Sunday school parties, family parties, work parties, party, 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 until sometimes you're tired of partying. And then, of course, most of all, you shop, and we shop, and we shop, and then we shop some more, right? And so we go through this cycle of preparing for Christmas that really is not anything to do with what Christmas is all about. In fact, that's why we celebrate Advent. In the church calendar, Christmas doesn't actually start the 24th, the day before Christmas. And the church calendar leading up to Christmas is a period of Advent or preparation for Christmas. And we do that in two main ways. The first thing you do for Advent in preparation for Christmas is you remember. You remember. Take time these next few weeks to remember. The ancient Israelites would have taken time to remember. They were told to remember in a lot of their ceremonies and rituals. They would remember what God had done for them. They would remember the promises made to Abraham, the covenant. The covenant that would a promise of land and of, 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 of a people and of blessing the whole earth. We as Christians today remember, we remember what God has done for us. But we also remember, just as the Israelites did, our need for a Savior. Remember how much I need a Savior. I could do nothing on my own as we learn throughout our Reformation series. I am, I'm totally dependent on him. I need a Savior. Remember that great, great need. But we just don't remember. The second thing we do in Advent is we look forward. We look forward. The Israelite people, because of the blessings and the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then with the, through the house of David would come the Savior, we're always looking forward, looking forward to their Messiah. And so we, we look back and see the fulfillment, but then we also look forward to his coming again, knowing that he came once, and we celebrated this Christmas season, but he comes again. And so during this time of Advent, we stand back and we say, Lord, just strip away all these other things, all these other things that we do to prepare. And can we this week, in this next few weeks, remember and look forward to what God has for us, what God is going to do in our world. Because as much as we like to keep it simple, life gets complicated. And I can tell you this week, as you try to um, just remember and try to look forward, you're going to get, we're going to get caught up in shopping and cookies and decorations and music and all these things. You know, it was great to have the band and did such a great job leading us in worship this morning and, and hearing a, a few of those initial Christmas songs that we heard. But there's so much more coming, and we're going to be deluged with it. And life gets complicated. Christmas gets complicated because life gets complicated. In fact, sometimes I think maybe you're like me, and you feel a little bit like my favorite philosopher, Charlie Brown. He says this, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I don't 
I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Well, it sounds like Charlie Brown, but it also sounds like some other people I know. In fact, a few years ago, that sounded like a few pastors. There were a few pastors that had gotten together and they were sharing how they were just, at the end of the Christmas season, feeling depressed, feeling that, that the frustration, the busyness, everything that had gone on, that they had, they had missed it all. Have you ever gotten through Christmas and at the end and said, whoa, I think I missed it. <laughs> That's the way they were feeling. They, they, they said there was a, no wonder there was a dread at the beginning of each new Christmas or Advent season. There was this dread knowing what was coming up. Even in the midst of the worship and the praise and the thanksgiving that, that God had come into this world, that amazing thought, they were ending up thinking, I don't even want to face this. They, they, they worded it this way, there was a creeping kind of idolatry that was consuming them in their communities. And so they were, they were frustrated and they, they would look around and they would see people and themselves even caught in a sea of financial debt. A little bit what Megan was talking to us about. But on, on one side was a sea of debt and then on the other side was a list of Christmas gifts <laughs> they needed to buy. Have you been there? Overwhelming stress that basically overtook any worship, any true worship. Do you feel stressed this morning? He says, people now believe that marketing lie, that spending money is the best way to express love. This combined with the American mindset of more must be better was consuming the pastors and the congregation alike. And finally, it says this, somehow this had become a new normal. This had become everyone's Christmas routine. Every year, people were being devoured by the Christmas frenzy. And every year, the Advent season ended with a sinking feeling that once again, they missed the point. Something had to change. These pastors started a, 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 a I guess, a groundswell, and it was, became known as the Advent Conspiracy. And over the last few years, you've seen churches that have called their, their Christmas season, they've, they've entitled it, and they've stressed this Advent Conspiracy that they were done with Christmas as usual. They were going to go simple with Christmas. They were getting back to the basics. And there was a lot of themes behind Advent Conspiracy and a lot of, a lot of topics. But when it came down to the, the crux of it, it came down to really what I would say one significant thought. And that thought is this, less spending, more giving. Less spending, more giving. I was on my way yesterday down to, uh, yesterday morning down to the Canton for the Kirtland State Championship game. And as I was driving down, I was looking at the right-hand side. And one of those um, electronic billboards was up. And it was up there real big on going down around Akron area. And it said, spend less. I thought, oh, I need to take a picture of that for my message. But I was driving. <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> I probably might have if I wasn't alone, but I had a couple people with me. They wouldn't have liked that. And no, 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 I would not have. Not teens. Don't listen to that. That's bad advice. I would not have done that. Pull over. Do it there. 
but spend less. But actually, the spend less was in, in relation to this, this company who says, you know, don't, don't spend more money for somebody else. Come here and spend less. And we talk about spend less, and that gets a little personal at Christmas time here. He says, well, you don't know my circumstances. No, I don't. And I'm not here to, I'm not here to tell you what to do today. And I'm not, I'm not here to say, you know, you got to handle your money this way. I'm just saying, maybe think about if you want to simplify, if you want to, if you want less stress, if you want, if you want to really center on Christ and, and think about who, what he's done for us and how we can celebrate this Christmas, maybe one way of doing that is spending a little bit less. I, I looked up and could have shared with you all the statistics on spending. People spend like crazy at Christmas. You know that. Um, people are spending online like crazy this Christmas. You know that. What does it take to spend a little less? And, but more than that, I'm, I'll let you decide what to spend. I want to concentrate on the second half of this a little bit today. The more giving. The more giving. It's interesting, as I think about this, giving and being a, being a giver and wanting to give isn't necessarily just a Christian concept, right? In fact, if you've been noticing the last few days, we, within the last week or so, we tend to give these days names like Black Friday, right? Then we had Cyber Monday, right? Do you know what Tuesday was this past week? Giving Tuesday, right? Giving Tuesday or hashtag Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday was started by those who, was looking, who were looking at what we were spending on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday and now even Thursday, Thanksgiving. Everything we were spending on ourselves. And they said, shouldn't we be giving back? Shouldn't we be willing to help out others? But it's not necessarily a Christian idea. In fact, the group that started that is the, six years ago is the Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact. They started six years ago this hashtag Giving Thursday, and it's kind of mushroomed, it's kind of grown to where people are saying on Tuesday, Giving Tuesday, let's go out and let's give. But it's not, it's not necessarily a Christian, but yet it is a Christian concept. It is something that God talks about, and it's something that, that we, if we take seriously in our Christian lives this Christmas, I think will help simplify Christmas just a little bit. A little less spending, perhaps, but a lot more giving. That's God's message. Can we give? As I was thinking about that, I was taken to a story of giving in, in a Christmas. We know this story. It's Matthew chapter 2. It's some men who have come from the east. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there real quick, but we're just going to look at a few verses in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, these first two verses I'm going to read actually aren't even on the screen. I, but I, I just want to set the, set the stage for what is happening here. That, chapter 2 of Matthew. Yeah, I, li- I like Matthew. Matthew, um, he takes the story of the birth of Christ and, from Luke, and he kind of, you know, he takes what Luke takes 100 verses to say, and he does it in about seven. And, uh, and so we get this really, not a lot of detail from Matthew in the birth of Christ, but he gives us, he says, it happened, here's what, here's what happened, and then he says, by the way, after that, in fact, verse 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we see that these, these men have come and if you know the rest of the story reading on, they have this little conversation later with Herod. And they finally end up in the place where Jesus is. 
the house, we're told. And that's in verse 11, which we do have up on the screen here for you today. It says this, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew doesn't get into a lot of details. He doesn't tell us a lot about these guys. We know they're from the east. He calls them magi, which probably means they're they're astrologers. They had followed the, the star. They were probably coming from the east and magi, maybe interpreters of dreams, like those who were with Daniel and, and serving King Nebuchadnezzar. They, sometimes people call them kings, like we three kings of Orient are, and, and so they may have had some element of royalty to them. We don't know for sure. But we do know that they came, and they saw, they bowed down, and they worshiped. We see these men who've come so far and they come to worship the Lord. When I've read this before, I've read that. And then I've also then kind of went straight to the, okay, what were they bringing, right? (laughs) They're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. But I kind of skipped over a phrase there that this morning I think is really important. And it's this, they opened their treasures. There, they opened their treasures. When they got there to worship God, when they came to the king of the Jews and they began their worshiping process, doesn't really say, you know, know, okay, strike up the worship band now or let's sing hymn number 42. They didn't do any of that, I don't think. But somehow they worshiped. And they worshiped in one way, by opening up their treasures. Opening up their treasures. I guess in the past, maybe I thought they came, they'd already picked out the gold and picked out the myrrh, picked out the frankincense and had it in a baggie, you know, all ready to go. (laughs) Or maybe they'd pre-wrapped it, you know, and said, okay, when we find the king, we got these little, you know, a little bit of gold, a little bit of frankincense, a little bit of myrrh, and and let's present it. But that's not what he did or what they did. It says they opened up their treasures. And if you, really that, that, that phrase there is really taking a treasure chest, a, a, a box, a container, and opening it up and presenting it. At that point, everything they had was subject to giving to the king. When they opened up their treasure, They said, there is nothing in here that we're hiding. Nothing in here we're holding back. Everything in here, what do you need, Lord? And I can imagine that conversation might have gone that way. They might have, I can can see at this point, since it it might not have been prepackaged, they might have been sifting through and saying, "Uh, let's see, I got some myrrh here, I got some gold. What what could you guys use? What, what What would be a good gift for the king? They opened up their treasures. When I think about treasures, I think about what Jesus said when he started his ministry, just a few pages down in Matthew there, chapter six. When he's talking, he's talking about treasures. And he says this, 
chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That, that tense is a present tense, and that could just as well be translated, quit storing up your treasures here. Quit storing up your treasures here. Quit taking them and burying them and sticking them in the bank and, and trusting in them for your future. And, he, and he's saying, instead, open up your treasures. Open them up. Open them up. And, and invest them in heavenly things. In, in, in fact, as I look at this, I see chapter 6 of Matthew all, all talking about what are you going to do with God? How, how does he fit into your life? How, how are you relating with God? And he's, in fact, he starts off by saying, when you pray, pray in a certain way. When you, when, you, uh, when you pray, when you give, give in a certain way. When you fast, give in a certain way. And then he says, and by the way, don't lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Your relationship with God should be such that you are, excuse me, don't lay treasures on earth. Invest in heaven. Invest in the godly things. And so he does that. And he says that. There have been people all through scriptures that invested, laid up their treasures in earthly things. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Achan. Joshua chapter 7. God had said, you know, when you, when, you conquer, when you conquer Jericho, you can go and take everything, but, but, but don't take it for yourselves. Don't take it for yourselves. It belongs to me. Achan went and he took some from himself, some of, the, some of the valuables, and he buried them. God says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures. Achan's life and his family's life were taken because of that. You remember, uh, a man came to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and he says, well, do all the things that you know to do? And he says, I do all those. And he says, well, then you need to give everything you have. And he says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I got I to gotta trust in my treasures. What's in your treasure chest this morning? Well, if you were to open up your treasure chest and say, God, everything I treasure, everything I value is here. What's in that treasure chest? What is it you can offer to God? And in and, and, and giving today, it doesn't have to be money. In fact, it probably isn't money. It, well, it may be. But what is it that's in your treasure chest? First of all, I hope Jesus Christ is in there. I hope when you open your treasure chest, you see Jesus Christ. When Jesus is our treasure, we will commit our resources, our money, our time, our talents to his work in this world. When Jesus is our treasure, all the other things, the family and everything else fall into place. What's in your treasure chest? What do you offer to God? And he says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. I can tell where your heart is by where your treasure is. As an accountant for many years, it's easy to tell where people's treasure goes by looking on their tax returns 
or their financial statements. It's easy to see where the treasure's headed and say, wow, I can see where that person's heart is. A number of years ago, in fact, it was 1983, um, a man that you've probably heard of, and I was reminded of this story just a few weeks ago as I was chatting with somebody after church. A man you might have heard of, his name's Ravi Zacharias. Ravi was in India. He was there with the Billy Graham crusade, and he came back, and he was, his heart was just torn, and he told his wife, I can't do this anymore. He said, I'm, I'm, I, he's been a professor up in New York. He was a professor for, for years up there, and, 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 but he said, but God's speaking to me, and I, people come up to me. They're coming up to me all over the place asking tough questions, and I need to be able to give them the answers. I need to be able to talk to intellectuals and be able to, to lead them to God. I need to be able to explain Christ to people who are, who are, who are maybe even hostile to them, to, to Christ. How do I? And I, need to, I need to be able to do that. But to do that, I need to quit teaching and I need $50,000. And he says, let's do this. Don't tell anybody. Don't even tell your parents. Let's just pray about it. Let's just pray about it. That was August of 1983. In November of 1983, Ravi came down our way in Youngstown where I was working later and he was speaking to a group of a little over 200 men and he didn't tell them anything. He didn't say a word other than at the end of the conference he said this. He said, I tell you what, the last time he spoke, my wife and I need your prayers. Would you please pray for us? We have a need. Well, one man went up and prayed. He happened to be one of our clients. His name was D.D. Davis. D.D. was a contractor, construction in the Youngstown area. I normally don't tell you names when I tell client stories, but you can read this in Ravi's uh, autobiography. D.D. Davis came up to him that day and said, I've been praying, and Lord's laid you on my heart. And here's a check for $50,000. Ravi says, I can't accept that. I don't know you. I can't accept it. And so he, he, he says, I'll tell you what, though, I'll come back down in a few months and I'll talk to you and we'll talk. And, and Dee Dee says, no, you're a busy man. I have a plane. I'll fly up to New York. You just tell me when to meet you there. So a little bit later, Dee Dee got on a plane and him and Velma's wife went up and they, they met with, Ravi and his wife, and, and they prayed, and he said, I believe God wants me to give this to you. I've never been so sure of anything in my life. And indeed, he gave that check to Ravi Zacharias. And over the last 30 years, Ravi Zacharias has gone around the world being an apologist for the Christian faith, for reaching into communities that are difficult to reach, who are challenging, who can be even hostile to the gospel. And he reaches out. And he says, here is the good news of the gospel of Christ. But it's because one man said, I don't want to give. I don't want to spend. I want to give. His internal accountant later wrote to Ravi. And he says, you know, Ravi, I, I'm the man who looks. Or I'm the person who looks at Ravi's checkbook. I know where his treasures have gone. And I can tell you where his heart is. And his heart is in your ministry, and it's in the work of God. When you give 
out of your abundance, when you give out of your resources, God will use it to reach many, many folks. You may never know the impact that your giving has on somebody. Andrew Murray is a uh, 19th century, 20th century theologian, writer. He says this, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does he use it? What's in your treasure chest this morning? I hope Jesus Christ is in there. What else is in there? What do you value? What talents, what resources can you give more of this Christmas? I'm not sure where I saw this, but I liked it, so I'm going to read it. It says, so the question arises, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? The answer is by living the way God has asked us to live and to following after him in all that we do. For example, loving your neighbor as yourself. If a man has a need for a shirt and you have an extra one, give him one. Being a cheerful giver, honoring God with your marriage, guarding your mind against adulterous thoughts, sharing the good news of the gospel with those around you. There are many, many things which narrow down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. What can you give? What's in your chest this morning? What's in your treasure chest that you've opened up in your mind? Are you willing to give it? I, instead of less spending, maybe I like to think of more investing. More investing in people. What are you willing to invest of your treasures? I know that um, as an accountant, Money never leads, it follows. Do you get that? Money never leads, it follows. You don't go to the job the first day and they give you the money for the, this month and say, thanks for coming, now work. Doesn't work that way. Money follows. Money follows hard work. Money follows ingenuity. Money follows creativity. Money follows stick to Money follows resilience. Money follows integrity. Money follows relentlessness. That's on the income side, though. I found out through life it's on the expense side also. And I think Megan taught us that a little bit. Money also follows. It just doesn't jump out of your pocket and go spend itself. It follows and it follows desire. What's the desire of your heart? What's the desire of your heart this morning? Because where your desire is, there's your resources there's your treasure. And then back again, there's where your heart is. Investing in others doesn't necessarily require money, though. It may require time. It may require effort. It may require sacrifice. It might require some humility. Maybe even some courage to invest in others, to give this Christmas. Maybe some less spending, but yeah, more giving. Let's stand together. I'll never forget, one of the favorite stories in the scripture is that in Acts chapter three. Peter and John are heading to the temple and the crippled man cries out and says, give me money, I need money. 
Please help me. Peter gives him that old bad news, good news. Bad news is silver or gold, I have none. He says, but what I have, I give you. In the name of the Lord, get up and walk. What do you have this morning? Maybe, no, maybe you don't have silver or gold. Maybe you don't have dollars. <laughs> but you have some time, you have some talents, you have some treasures. Are you investing it? Do you have the courage, humility, the desire to do that? Because where your treasure is, where you invest that time, where you invest that money, where you invest those talents, tells me where your heart is. Just like it told Dee Dee Davis' accountant where his heart was. We know, we know. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come offering our treasures to you. Um, Lord, this week, may we take time to take inventory of that treasure chest. Maybe there's some things we need to get out of there. Some things that don't belong there. Things that are just creating complexity and, and, and conflict in our lives. But Lord, help us to, to look into that treasure chest. To see you. And Lord, to see those that we love and we care for. And Lord, we, may we take you and share you with those in, the, in need. That sharing might be through money, through time, through conversations, through loving, through giving. Whatever it takes, Lord, help us to be good givers. Help us this Advent season, Lord, not to think so much of the transaction we're engaged in. but the opportunity to give without expecting anything in return, without looking for our own good, but just to share the love of Christ with someone else, someone who needs it. Lord, go with us now. May this week we uh, begin this Advent season living lives that bring honor and glory to you. Give us, Lord, maybe someone that we can share something with this week. Someone, Lord, that we can give some money, some food, some clothes, and a kind word, an encouragement, a challenge, a pat on the back, the gospel, a hug. Whatever it may be, we need to give this week, Lord. Help us to be good givers. Help us be generous givers. Help us to share your love. Bring honor to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go this week. Look for opportunities to give. Give generously. You're dismissed.